All right, guys, it is good to see you. It is good to be with you. It is good to open the text together. And uh, I don't know about you, but I'm excited. About 15 minutes ago, the worship band was finishing up, and I just had to, I just had to yell because I'm just like, I've got a lot of pent-up energy in me. And so uh, we're going we're gonna to be flying through this text Um, and really touching base on a lot of other scriptures. So if you have your Bible, please have it open, be ready to turn, uh, because we're going to be looking at um, some definitions of things, some some explanation of things as uh, as scripture leads us in this. I want to set first the context of where we are in 1 Peter chapter 2. We've entitled this series, An Exile's Guide to Life, okay? An exile's guide to life. That assumes a couple things. That assumes that you and I, that we are in exile. This was written to exiles, but we also are phrasing it in such a way that we, as the body of Christ here, are exiles. We as people who, who don't necessarily have a homeland. And, and that resonates pretty deeply with a lot of us. That, that resonates of Man, maybe, maybe Utah, maybe Salt Lake City isn't necessarily where we grew up. Maybe it's not our home. A lot, of, a lot of our church are transplants. A lot of people moved here. We've got people who are in the military who've traveled around all over the world and who have been here for the last few years. Even if you've been here for the last 15 years, that's a, that's a small segment maybe of your life that have, you, you know, you've lived to that point. Maybe this is, this is a land that, that is... is um, how do I say this? It's different than the rest of the country, okay? It, it's a land that, that automatically people feel um, isolated, people feel lonely, people feel sometimes oppression spiritually. And so this is a land that we, in some ways, feel the, the reality of being in exile. And this is how Peter starts the book, In verse 1, to those who are elect exiles in the dispersion, and he names a couple cities. So he's writing to elect exiles. He's writing to people who have been scattered abroad, and he's saying, hey, this is for you. God sees you, God knows you, and actually God is building something in you. Even though you may not be in your homeland, even though you may not be in a place that's comfortable, even though you may not, you know, have the cultural reference, and for the, for the context of this, for the Jews that, that he was talking to in this, you may not, or, or Gentiles, you may not have the temple that you can worship in. Where, where are we going to worship, Peter? We're, we're, we're scattered abroad. How are we going to worship God? And so he's, he's writing to people who are wondering, how do we live when, when everything is a little bit different in the culture that we find ourselves, how do we live as worshipers of God in the midst of exile? And this really is the turning point for the rest of the book. This, is, this week and next week are the last little chunks that Peter's going to give us of re- a lot of encouragement, okay? So the encouragement this week, the exile's guide to life. What are we talking about this week? We're talking about growth. Okay, if I could sum it up in one word, it's growth. Okay, we're going to see it in multiple different ways. But what does it look like to grow? 
when you have a zero support system, maybe inside your house, maybe in your work, in your school, in your friendships, it's a little bit challenging. And how do you have a center point of safety and security and hope that you can grow as a believer? How do we grow? Okay, that's the chief question that Peter is driving at in this passage. So we're going to jump in. Verse 1. Put away all malice and deceit and hypocrisy and envy and, sl- and, all, and, envy and all slander. So he's, he's saying, put away this way of life. But like newborn infants long for the pure spiritual milk, that by it you may grow up into salvation. If indeed you've tasted that the Lord is good. This is the first chunk that we have of what is it Peter is looking at and what does it look like for us to grow. Anybody catch the word grow in that text? Yeah? Okay. All right. We're we're on the same page then. We see Peter is saying, hey, this is how you grow. This is what it looks like for you to grow in the midst of challenging times. One, like a newborn infant, long for pure spiritual milk. First comment is Peter references his master Jesus here, who says, if anyone would come to me, they must come as a little child. They must come as a child in dependence, as a child in longing, as a child in, in openness. So we must come as a newborn infant and longing for the pure spiritual milk, Okay? This word longing is something that I want us to focus on in this idea of growth, okay? My question from the outset for you and I is, what do you long for? What do you hope to see? What do you desire passionately? What is a craving of your soul? Peter's using the the terminology of 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 a child longing for milk. And we have some children in here who are making sounds, and it is a joy to my ears. But sometimes that sound gets a little bit curdling and a little high pitched and a little bit aggressive. And when that happens, you know something's about to break, okay? Either mom or dad or the child. (laughs) And there's this sense of there's a longing, there's a need that a child has for milk. It is their very lifeblood. It's what sustains them. And my question is, what is it for you? What is it that sustains you? What is it that gives you hope? What is it that allows you to to live? Peter says that we're to long for this pure spiritual milk. We're going to talk about this uh, and and bring a definition to it. That by it we may grow into salvation. What is this pure spiritual milk? Well, he says in verse 3, if indeed you've tasted that the Lord is good. Part of my 
hope for us today, and part of the desire for Peter is that he would see the people who he's writing to, and he says, hey guys, as you've tasted, as you've tasted the goodness of God, long for that more and more and more. Long to taste of his goodness. If indeed you've tasted of it. What does that assume? That assumes that we have an experience of it. That assumes that there's a, there's a, a sense for us that, that that's there, that it's a reality, that it's something we're going after. But he, but he in many ways, defines this pure spiritual milk as the goodness of the Lord. And my question for you and I in this longing is, are we longing to experience the goodness of God? Do you long to experience the goodness of God? The other way that we can define this spiritual milk is, um, it's a really interesting phrase because most of the other times in Scripture, when Paul is referring to milk, he's referring to it in a negative context, okay? He says things like, you know, I had to come to you with milk and not solid food because you weren't mature. Or the writer of Hebrews would say, yeah, I mean, you're still on milk, even though you should be a teacher, and we have to go through the basic ideas of who God is because you're still on milk, and, but, but we're going we're gonna to grow and you're going you're gonna to mature in, in discernment and wisdom, okay? So it's a little bit of an interesting phrase because, because the other ways that milk is referred to is a little bit different. Um, it's, it's, again, used in a negative context. But what's interesting about what, that I was observing, because I was really wrestling with this, because, again, the, the idea of this is growth, okay? I, through Peter through the Holy Spirit, through God in this text, I'm saying, hey, you want to grow? Long for pure milk. Okay? And you're like, where do I get this milk? What is this milk, right? I mean, that's a very valid definition. So I'm wrestling with this. What is the milk? And what I've come to is a couple things. He says it's pure and spiritual. So first, it's not just, it's not just, it's not, not just physical, there's a spiritual element to it. There's something metaphysical in it. There's something that is, that is ethereal with it. There, it's spiritual milk. But one, time, one way that we sometimes interpret spiritual is that it's only up here and the, the tangibility of it doesn't really flow through. That, that what, is, what is something that's tangible that I can grab onto? And it's almost like this. Jesus is known as the Word. Jesus is known as the Word, but the Bible is known as the Word. Jesus is the capital W, and the Word of God is a small w, but they're the same, but they're different. They're, one's a person, one's a text. One's tangible in front of us, one's tangible in person. My point in this is saying that this pure spiritual milk what I think the definition is, is the truths of God. It's the truths of God that we taste his goodness in. Okay? How do we grow? We understand the truths of God 
and taste of his goodness in them. It's not just knowledge. Did you catch that? It's not just knowing something, but it is experiencing. It's experiencing. It's internalizing. It's feasting on something. It's feasting on the truth of God. The best reference I have for this is Psalm 131, and I'm going to turn there. If you want to turn there too, that would be awesome. Psalm 131, I'm going to read this real quick and just give you a glimpse into what this idea of someone who is experiencing growth by the pure spiritual milk, how they see, how they see this experience, okay? This is the experience of someone feasting on the milk of Christ, of God's goodness. Psalm 131, O Lord, my heart is not lifted up. My eyes are not raised too high. I do not occupy myself with things too great and too marvelous for me. But I have calmed and quieted my soul like a weaned child with its mother. Like a weaned child is my soul within me. O Israel, hope in the Lord from this time forth and forevermore. What do we hear in this? We hear that that his mind has been occupied with some of the great truths of God, and yet he's humbled before the very presence of God to say, you are God and I am not, but I am calm and quiet and satisfied as a child. And my encouragement to you who are reading this text, O Israel who hope in the Lord, hope in the Lord. So what does it look like to grow? What does it look like that Peter's saying, long for the pure spiritual milk, very simply, know the truths of God and taste of his goodness. It's not just knowledge, it's not just experience, but it is a marrying of the two with our heart and our mind and our soul and our body before God, tasting of his goodness. A lot of times, you and I, can be challenged in our spiritual life, and, and sometimes there's even people in our church who, um, who man, I, I want to grow. What, what does it look like to grow? I, well, tell me what to do. Tell me the practices. I, I want to grow, and, I, and I'm just going to say, if you have a longing to grow, there's a, there's a, there's a, that's a work of God's Spirit pushing you to grow. That's a, that's a work of His Spirit building in you that desire and my, my encouragement to you is this type of growth does not need anyone, I'm going I'm to say this and I'm going to caveat it, does not need anyone else. No one else is involved in this. This is you and the Spirit and the Word and Christ and your heart. What does it look like to grow? It looks like to long for the goodness and taste of God's truths, okay? Number one, that's how we grow in exile. I could probably spend more time on that, and you could probably tell that, but I have to move on. So um, let's go to verse four. The first phrase that Peter says in this is, as you come to him. 
that gives definition to what we just read. Okay? Longing for the pure spiritual milk. As you come to him, as we come to Christ, as we experience his goodness, as we're built in him together, as we're growing in him together, a living stone rejected by men but in the sight of God, chosen and precious. As we come to Christ, he is one who has experienced rejection. I don't know if we've necessarily, we don't necessarily dwell on this reality of Christ's rejection a whole lot. Um, but this idea of rejection is really, really, really important for the rest of the book that Peter is going to bring about. And, I'll, and I'm going to try to synthesize and tell you why. Because Peter, after these 12 verses, he's going to go into what does it look like for believers to live in submission to the government? Okay, a little bit of a hot topic right now. Um, what does it look like for an, an, an employer to take advantage of their employee and yet their employee suffer through it? How do we experience that? A little bit of a hot topic. No one wants that. He's going to go into marriage, and he's going to say, wives, submit to your husbands. A little bit of a hot topic. He's going to say, husbands, be gentle with your wives. A little bit of a hot topic. There's a reality that what I'm trying to convey to you is the rest of what's coming is a lot of challenge, okay? Peter's going to directly tell us how to live in conflict. The word he uses actually is war with the world. And what's going to be experienced in this war is our rejection and our suffering and our being taken advantage of. That's what he's going to propose. Maybe you don't want to come back next week. <laughs> but I, I, I say that because this is why this text is so important, because it says, hey guys, the rejection that I'm preparing you for, the rejection that's coming, Christ has can't even say it. Christ has experienced. Christ has experienced that. He is the chosen, precious, beloved, beautiful, honored Son of God, yet rejected and cast aside and mocked and beaten. You will experience mocking. You will experience beating. You will experience the, the pain of suffering and yet know that you are chosen, that you are precious. Just as Christ is chosen and precious. How, how, can, I, how can I make this, this equality that what's said of Jesus, the chosen, precious, beloved Lamb of God, 
is applied to us? Well, a couple reasons. Look at verse 6 for me, the, the uh, end of verse 6. Whoever believes in Christ in him will not be put to shame. There is no shame. No shame. You may experience shame out there, but there is no shame for those who are in Christ. The honor is for you who believe, verse 7. The honor is for who? For Christ? Yeah, but it's also for you. You are honored. You are beloved. Verse 9, but you are chosen. You're a chosen race. God has chosen you. Others may not choose you. Christ has. You are a people for his own possession. When you hear a people for his own possession, what does that give you this sense of? Longing, desire, passion, love. These are my people. When we come to Christ, as we come to Christ, the one who is rejected, but who we consider chosen, the one who is rejected by men, but who God says is precious, who we say is precious, what does he say in verse 5? You yourselves like living stones. He gives us the same identity. He gives us the same exact phrase that's applied to, to, to Jesus himself. Jesus is a living stone. We are living stones. We are living stones that are built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood. This is the the growth phrase, okay? The growth phrase is, how do we grow in exile? We are built up as a spiritual house in Christ. You see that? We grow by being a spiritual house together. What does a spiritual house mean? What does this idea of living stones mean? It means that the church is the place of safety for the exile. It means the church is the place of honor for the exile. The church is the place where we are able to be secure when we don't have a home. This idea of spiritual house is not only a physical location, but is also a spiritual reality. This idea of household is is the idea of a family. And the idea that he's getting at here, this idea of a spiritual house is basically saying, You may experience rejection out here, but you have a family that is building you up. Be built up with them. You may experience suffering out here, but you have a family that is building you up. You have access as a holy priest to the presence of God. A lot of times that this passage right here is used primarily as a definer for the church, the value of the church. And as I've wrestled with this text, guys, there's a reality in which 
this idea of what is the church, the idea of, of the value of the church is really in conflict. It's in conflict in our world. It's in conflict in our experience. What is the value of, of this? For those of you who are joining us online, for, for those of you in this room, what is the value of the church? And this is, the, this is what I feel like the Lord has given me even last night as I was praying through this was as much as the church is imperfect. Many of you have experienced the imperfection of the church. I read an article two days ago about Ravi Zacharias and that whole thing of, a, of another leader. He wasn't a pastor, a pastor, thankfully, but another leader in God, among God's people abusing abusing people. And it may not be a leader for you. It may not be, yeah, it may, it may be the organization of the church. It may be um, someone in the church that you've had conflict with or things have gone around your back or, or I don't even know what all the experiences are, but I know all, every single one of us have them by being hurt by the church. And this text is the text that says the church is the place of safety. The church is a place for those who claim Christ will experience rejection in the world, but they have but they have a home. They have a home. They have a people. They have someone to encourage them and build them up. They have a family. And what's amazing to me about this is he uses this idea of living stones being built up together into a house. And it's almost like there's these little houses all over the world being built up. Cappadocia, Asia, Bithynia, Pontus, Galatia, Salt Lake City, Riverdale, Sandy, Indonesia, I mean, I don't even know, like uh, Indonesia, Pakistan. That there are these houses in which people who claim Christ, who consider Christ precious, can come and receive encouragement. And I and we are a people who are imperfect. Do I perfectly encourage you? Does our church perfectly build you up? Unfortunately, no. But the good news of this passage is God does it in his church. Look at this phrase. Living stones are being built up as a spiritual house to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ, for it stands in Scripture. 
God basically says, the church is my beloved house in the world. And you are built into it. You have a place of safety and of refuge into it. To be a holy priesthood, to have access. Priesthood, is there a sense of priesthood of this missional identity of we're we're to be priests to the world? Absolutely. But I think what he's describing here is this is access to God. We have access to him. Okay. How do we grow? We grow by longing for the pure milk, tasting of God's goodness. We grow by being built up into the church. We grow by offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God in worship. Okay, I want to, I need, I need you to understand this idea of offering spiritual sacrifices, okay? Because it's crucial to the rest of the book. The idea of offering spiritual sacrifices is that our bodies and who we are become the vessels of sacrifice to God. Literally, Greg Arinder becomes a vessel of sacrifice to God. I lay myself down at the altar, okay? You may think of Romans 12.1. Philip, here we go. Romans 12.1. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Present your body as a living sacrifice. Okay, next one. Philippians 4, I've received full payment and more. I will, I'm well supplied, having received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable to God. What's he talking about? He's talking about the, the offering that the, the Philippians gave Paul, the literal money that they gave Paul for his work. That was a sacrifice to God, a living sacrifice. Next one. Consequently, when Christ came into the world, he said, sacrifice and offerings you've not desired, but a, everybody say it, thank you, you have prepared for me. In burnt offerings and sin offerings, you have taken no pleasure. Then I said, behold, I have, I have come to do your will, O God, as is written for me in the scroll of the book. Okay, the point of that was body, and you guys said it, good job. Jesus basically saying all these burnt offerings, all these sacrifices that were made, the whole point of them was the, the, the worshiper would put their hands on the, on the, on the bowl or, the, or hold the pigeon or whatever, and that, that their body would be transferred into it, and that would be consumed by God. Now, our bodies become the offering. We become the offering to God. Final one. Through him, then, let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God that is the fruit of lips that acknowledge his name, Okay, first, first element of sacrifice, praise from our lips. Do not neglect to do good and to share what you have for such, thank you, are pleasing to God. What am I, what, what am I trying to say in that? Our bodies are now offerings to God to be lived out in the rest of the world. This is crucial for the rest of the book. Why? Because when things get hard in the government and I have to submit my body to the government, 
Who am I submitting it to ultimately? Not, not the government, because they're definitely failures. But the Lord Christ. I offer my body as a sacrifice, not to them, but to Christ. When I'm employed, my employer's taking advantage of me. I offer my body not to them, but to Christ. When my husband is a jerk, and they are, <laughs> I'm one of them. I offer myself to him, not because of him, but because of Christ. I'm gentle with my wife, even though I'm really angry. I could punch a, a hole through the wall, but I'm going to be gentle with her because I'm submitted not to her, but to Christ. Our bodies become the vessels by which God's kingdom enters into the world in every dynamic. We become the sacrifice, not to these people, but to Christ. Does that make sense? And when we're rejected by this person, when we're, when we're taken advantage of by this person, when this person harms us, who protects us? Who? Who protects us? The Lord Christ. And we are built up and we can find safety and refuge in the church. We can learn to offer our bodies to Christ in the church. The failures of the church, guys, the failures of the church are merely believers working out, what does it look like for me to offer my body to Christ? They're learning. They're learning what does it look like. They're learning to, to offer my body. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to offer this, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, to you know, do this on the side. We offer our whole bodies to Christ. We, we grow in this. Okay, what do we talk about growing? We grow by we long to taste of God's goodness. Anybody long to taste of God's goodness? Anybody? Longing to taste of God's goodness. Being fed by his milk. We, 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 we are built up into the church. Encouraged. You're not crazy for believing in Christ. He will ultimately deliver you. He is our hope. so that we offer our bodies in sacrifice. It's a perfect growth plan for your life. Long for Christ. Be united to his body. And be his conduit of love and sacrifice to the world. Let's pray. Lord, we declare you as our Lord. We, your people, are not perfect. We fail. 
but you are our hope. And thank you that we are accepted and are safe and secure only in you, Christ. There's no marital relationship. There's no familial relationship. There's no house that we can dwell in that gives us the acceptance and the safety that you do. Lord, I pray that we would be people who are full of longing, full of desire, full of hope. And Lord, that you craft us into be people giving our lives, Christ, as you have given your life to us. Lord, I ultimately pray that we would be little Christs, offering our bodies, offering our lives to our enemies. Because that's what you've done to us. As our enemy, you have received us. You have accepted us. Thank you, Christ. In your name we pray. Amen.